0: Well, I'm continuing to preach on some of the Psalms and trying to choose representative examples from the variety of Psalms we find in the Bible. And this morning we look to Psalm 78, which is a Psalm that functions as a historical lesson. The psalm is still poetry, and it is still meant to be sung by God's people, but the purpose of this psalm is to remind God's people of their history. Now, Psalm 78 is certainly one of the longer psalms, though still 100 or so verses shorter than Psalm 119. But it is long because the author, whom we are told is Asaph, uses multiple examples from the history of Israel to make his point. Now, what's troublesome for us is these events are not told in order, but you'll be able to pick up on a couple of the events. We hear in this psalm about the plagues of Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the wandering in the wilderness and the provision of manna and then water from the rock. And we also read in here about the capture of the Ark of the Covenant that we saw in our Old Testament reading. And so you are welcome to open your uh, extra-thick bulletins this week uh, as we look at Psalm 78 and hear the history that we are taught. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 1. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to His law. They forgot His works and the wonders that He had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, He performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it, and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, He led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they still sinned more against Him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested, their, they tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can He also give bread? Or provide meat for His people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, He was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust His saving power. Yet He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by His power He led out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. And they ate and were well filled, for He gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and He killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite His wonders, they did not believe. So He made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When He killed them, they sought Him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they flattered Him with their mouths. They lied to Him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. Yet He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often and did not stir up all His wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the deserts. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power or the day when He redeemed them from the foe. When He performed His signs in Egypt and His marvels in the fields of Zoan, He turned their rivers to blood. So that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them. And frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust. And the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail. And their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail. And their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger. Wrath indignation and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for His anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then He led out His people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And He brought them to His holy land, to the mountain which His right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned for them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested. "...and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep His testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked Him to anger with their high places. They moved Him to jealousy with their idols." When God heard, He was full of wrath and He utterly rejected Israel. He forsook His dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where He dwelt among mankind. And He delivered His power to captivity, His glory to the hand of the foe. He gave His people over to the sword and vented His wrath on His heritage. Fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests Fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, which gives to us the history of your people. And not just some bare bones factual history, but the history you want us to hear. Teaching us exactly what we need to know. And so, God, we pray that you would speak through your word today. Use me in spite of my sins to proclaim your truth from this song And give us ears to hear and open hearts and minds to receive your word as your word. To heed the lessons and to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 78, we see that we are called to remember our history. And what I want us to see in the psalm today is first the value of simply knowing history and why God cares about that. And then what history was Israel forgetting? What did they seem to keep forgetting? And then how we see God never forgets us. So the first thing we see in the psalm is how God highly values history. We may like or dislike history. Some of us may enjoy reading biographies or reading the plaques at museums. Others of us may find history very dull and boring. But we're not thinking about whether or not we enjoy learning history. God is showing us the inherent value of learning history, particularly the history of God's people in his word. And so as we're told in verse one, we need to incline our ears to the teaching of scripture, to listen to the history of God's people. But not just to learn, but to learn so that we can also teach. In verse 4, we are told, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And so we share the history of God's people with the coming generations. We do so by bringing our children to worship. By teaching them the Bible in Sunday school and at home. By sharing our personal testimonies of God's faithfulness with them. And we need them to know this because human nature has not changed. The lessons of old are the lessons we need now. Now don't get me wrong, much has changed in the thousands of years since these stories in the Bible happened. For one, our tablets are far more advanced than Moses' tablets. But human nature has not changed. People are still fundamentally the same, struggling with the same sinful desires, facing the same basic problems, serving the same God. And so, yes, we may have advanced medically, technologically, scientifically, but we have not advanced morally. And to assume that we are immune to the moral failings of people in the past is to engage in what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. To think that we, simply because we live later than other people, are better than other people. If we can learn anything from God's history in Psalm 78, we see that over and over again, God's people still forget. And they need to remember. Because God shows us that forgetfulness directly leads to unfaithfulness. And so God's people needed to remember their history. And so the Lord inspired Asaph to write Psalm 78 for Israel and for us. So that we would value the history of God's people to learn from ages past and these stories in Scripture. And so in Psalm 78, we essentially have the history of forgetting your history. We are reminded again and again of the mighty works that God did on behalf of his people. And how the people immediately forgot those mighty works and rebelled against God that no matter how much God did for Israel, they continued to forget him. So what exactly were they forgetting? What did God's mighty deeds reveal that they then forgot? Well, we can sum up the teaching of forgetfulness in here that they forgot four different things about God. We can categorize them in that way. So first, Israel quickly forgot God's mighty power. They forgot his power. We see this phrasing at least in verse 22 and verse 42, but it's mentioned throughout. Asaph describes in verses 13 through 16 how God supernaturally changed Israel's circumstances. That they were backed up against the Red Sea with the Egyptians pursuing them. They had no way out. But God parted the Red Sea so his people could escape. Similarly, they were in the desert wilderness, thirsting with no water. And God had Moses strike a rock, and water rushed forth so that they would not die of thirst, neither them nor their flocks. Too often, we as God's people forget the kind of power God has at his disposal. God is not limited by the forces of nature, God does not grow weak, He does not get tired. In fact, God specializes in what we would call the impossible. If we forget His power, then we can assume our situation is hopeless. But God points us back to His mighty works and says, Hey, remember that? I'm still that powerful. And I still use that power for the good of my people. Don't forget my power second thing Israel forgot, in addition to his power, was God's provision. That in verses 19 through 20, Israel gets to complain. They whine. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. But can he also give us bread and meat for his people? They're essentially like, yeah, we know you provided breakfast and lunch, but what about dinner? You did all of these other things, but can he really do this? We are told that in asking these questions and complaining, they tested God. They didn't believe that God could provide what they craved. They knew he could provide some things. But could he provide all that they needed and all that they wanted? Well, he did. He gave them bread and meat to eat. For us as well, we may acknowledge that God has provided in the past for us, but we may doubt that He will provide for us now or in the future. Tim Keller, in commenting on this psalm, writes that no matter what God has done for us, our heart says, but what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? we are prone to forget that the God who provided yesterday's daily bread is fully capable of providing today's daily bread as well. And if God has provided that kind of daily bread for thousands of years for His people, will He not continue to do so for us as well? We're told not to forget His provision. The third thing Israel forgot then was God's protection. We read in verse 9 that Israel ran away in a battle worried they would be conquered by their enemies. But Asaph reminds them, don't you know that God protects his people? He protected them by bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. And he did so by sending plague after plague on the Egyptians to punish them for their wickedness. And once he freed them from Egypt, he protected them from the desert heat in a pillar of cloud to give them shade, and protected them from the cold desert nights through a pillar of f- fire to keep them warm. Would he not protect them from an enemy army if they trusted in him? We too can forget God's protection when we face danger because we think God's protection means to live in a bubble where danger will never, ever touch us. But God protects His people not by keeping us free from every danger, but by walking with us through the danger. And so He doesn't always protect us from contracting disease, but He protects us through that by keeping us from despair and giving us the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of Christ. He may not protect us from every relationship of ours being broken, but He protects us from the loneliness we feel by comforting us and sustaining us. God has shown a long history of protecting His people by being with them in the hardest of times. We're told not to forget that kind of protection. And then the fourth thing Israel we see forgets is God's punishment. His punishment. You see, when Israel asked for bread and meat, God gave it to them. But while they were chewing on it, He judged them by killing many of the whiniest Israelites. He was chastising them for, forget, for being forgetful people. It was an incredibly harsh lesson. But we immediately read in verse 32, right after that punishment, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Even after the Lord provided food and then punished them, they still did not remember the Lord. We can forget the punishment of the Lord as well because it is seen most often in the consequences of our sin. This immediately makes me think of how I've learned or tried to learn not to eat too much pizza that I am no longer a teenager, I am no longer in college, I can no longer eat as much pizza as I would love to eat. And if I do, there are consequences. Yet I still forget and still desire that pizza and suffer the consequences for my mistakes. And the same is true for sin. That even after facing the consequences of sin that God graciously gives us, to show us this sin is bad, don't do it, feel the shame and pain of your sin, we still then are tempted to sin again and immediately forget all of those consequences. Sin and then get the consequences and go, oh, I did it again. I need to remember God's gracious punishment that these consequences show me sin hurts. And so Psalm 78 repeatedly shows us the forgetfulness of God's people. And that tendency to forget is found in all of our hearts as well. But thankfully, that's not the only thing Psalm 78 teaches us. It doesn't just teach us forgetfulness. It teaches us God's faithfulness. That over and over again, God does mighty works for His people. He acts on their behalf in spite of their continued rebellion. He continues to be faithful even as His people prove their unfaithfulness. And we are told that God acts like this because He remembers who we are. We may forget who God is, but God remembers who we are. In verse 39, we read, He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. He remembers our sinful weakness. He knows that even our attempts to try better and return to Him are often insincere. We see that in verses 36 and 37. But they flattered Him with their mouths. They lied to Him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward Him, Yet, He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquities. God remembers our weakness. And He remembers and responds in compassion, providing for us instead of always punishing. And so Psalm 78 ends with this word of hope that points to King David, who would lead Israel to be faithful. As king, he was called to be the visible reminder that the Lord reigns over us and is good. And David did that, albeit imperfectly. And eventually David was succeeded by kings that struggled to forget, as we are all prone to forget. And the people continued to forget God again and again because that's what sinners do. But thankfully, God didn't forget us. Thankfully, the history of God's people did not stop there, for the Lord sent one greater than David to show that he did not forget his people. He sent Jesus, our Messiah, to accomplish the mightiest of wonders to save us. For in Jesus, the Son of God was forsaken by God the Father on the cross so that our sinful rebellion and forgetfulness could be atoned for. He took the punishment of God's holy and hot wrath against us. He took it upon himself so that rebels like us could be restored to God. And he rose from the dead to show his mighty power to protect us from the enemy of death. This is the mighty wonder that God has done through his son Jesus. We are told in our New Testament reading from Romans 8.32 that he who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Do you hear the history lesson in that verse? Do you hear the encouragement not to forget that if God did not spare His own Son for us, then what does that tell us about His faithful commitment to us today and into the future? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not forget what God has done for you. I know we are all prone to forget. To think that this situation I'm in today is different. That this struggle I'm facing is too great. That I have surely fallen in sin too far you're wrong. Remember what God has done for us in sending His Son. Remember what He was willing to do to save you from your sin. Remember how that mighty wonder of God's loving faithfulness is proof that He is with us and for us for all eternity. And so today we gather together as we do every week to remember to be reminded of God's mighty works, to proclaim the good news that we are quick to forget. And so let us remember our history. Let us teach it to the next generation so that we and they may set our hope in God and keep His commandments. And may the Spirit help us to be faithful to our faithful God. Let us pray. Oh God, we do pray that we would not be stubborn and rebellious as the previous generations of Your people have been. Yet at the same time, we know that is the nature of our hearts. And so forgive us. Forgive us, O God, and cleanse us from that forgetfulness. Help us to remember You, O Lord. To remember Your mercy towards us and Your faithfulness. To not presume Your faithfulness in a high-handed sort of way. But to give thanks and to humbly trust in You, our amazing and faithful God. Amen.